This episode's brought to you by everynowheremusic.com. Yep, you got that right. That's yours truly. So if this is an endeavor you'd like to support, please come and sign up for my newsletter at everynowheremusic.com. Every nowhere or every now here, depending on whichever way you prefer to look at it. I have tons of information in the book and, and podcasts on how to use promo effectively. But my point is, if, you know, hiring this publicist, that publicist, being with this manager, being with this booking agent equaled success, then everybody would just go sign up with those people, right? It's right. not that simple. It's creating great art and taking care of your fans. And um, how you are taking care of those fans can lead to a million dollars versus getting dropped, even if it's the same amount of fans, if that makes sense. Funny story, this is officially the first time in the history of this little podcast that I'm not quite sure how to summarize my guest's career because uh, the sheer quality and quantity, which is a rare combination of her achievements, is kind of unparalleled in a lot of ways in her field. So what I'm going to do instead is tell you my little story of how we met. Last year, while inaugurating the Mumbai branch of the KM Music Conservatory in India, I was uh, in the thick of it doing research on how to conduct these workshops, helping independent artists figure out some of the entrepreneurial sides of being a professional musician. And uh, an old friend of mine pointed me towards this podcast and it answered every single question I'd been looking for answers to for decades. And I have a degree in music business, technically speaking. Fast forward a few months down the line... I'm working for one of the guests on that podcast, Ariel Hyatt, one of the most downloaded episodes on that podcast series. And uh, Ariel puts me on to Emily White, who I have the enormous honor of hosting on my podcast now. Life can be a funny journey sometimes. All I can say is I'm extremely grateful to have the opportunity to host these amazingly brilliant people. Without much further ado, please welcome Emily White. Hello, fellow beings. Welcome Tapasya Loading, a safe space to attempt honest, raw and authentic conversation in homage to the ancient act of stoking a sacred fire. Welcome, Emily. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, my pleasure. Now, the honor is all mine. I'm extremely, extremely, extremely stoked to have you on. I lucked out big time having you on. I have lucked out with quite a few guests in the past and I... I'm happy to add you to this list. Um, so thank you again for coming on and doing this. Oh, my pleasure. With someone like you, it is not easy coming up with questions. I'll tell you why. Because you've given so much and so much of free content, for lack of a better term, that uh, it's like you've already answered at least almost 90% of a lot of questions independent artists would want to ask. And I feel like you're a pioneer in this regard. Because uh, speaking of podcasts, yours is, um, it's like a masterclass in literally how to get your art together. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. I mean, thank you for everything you just said. That means the world to me coming from you. And I really, really appreciate what you just said about, um, you know, I've covered 90% or whatever of the advice uh, for independent artists because that's why I wrote, you know, how to build a sustainable music career and collect all revenue streams and that made the accompanying podcast. Like I am traveling this weekend for a variety of reasons, but there is a foundation that wants me to meet with some artists and they're like, oh, they're planning a release. I'm like, here's a free copy of my book. Please have them try to read it first because otherwise I'm just going to repeat myself. So thank you for, for noticing that. 
No, it's it's a hard note to notice, isn't it? As an independent artist, really, it's um, um, a, a lot of times I'll start off these podcasts with uh, with a walk down memory lane and how I got to hear my uh, guest. Um, in our case, um, I uh, I went back to college last year in the pandemic during lockdown to get myself a master's degree in London. Uh, even though I hardly was in London for <laughs> for the most of the course. Um, and one of my cohorts actually uh, came up uh, with um, a link to your podcast saying, dude, this is exactly what you've been looking for. Like all the stuff you're covering, all the stuff you're trying to get a hang for in uni for our business modules and marketing modules, this covers it all. And uh, uh, I, I want to call out um, the guy who said the, this because uh, he's a very esteemed collaborator as well. Uh, Sebastian Heinz, uh, so thanks Sebastian and going through that podcast that was genuinely I mean I'm, I'm pretty sure you've heard this before but it genuinely was a game changer and funny story, two months after that I was guest lecturer at a conservatory in Mumbai where I was doing a course in artist development and pretty much 50% of my lectures were literally based on that like I'd go home after a lecture it was an intense one week course and literally go through your podcast again take notes get back into the classroom and try and do my best to impart what you've already done such a great job of telling us all about. Wow. Um, if you don't mind me asking, what were some of your takeaways for the lec- for the lecture that you were kind of going back and forth and taking notes, just broadly speaking, which, which topics? That's a great question. Yeah, no, feel free to ask any questions, by the way. As FYI, I don't look upon these as interviews per se. It's, I try and keep them conversational. Um, um I think, um, well, this some of the questions were location-specific because uh, even though India is one of the top five largest music industries in the world, when it comes to music law, it's a bit of a jungle. Mm. And um, most of the artists I was working with were younger artists in the early 20s, late 20s, early 30s, um, who've based their careers primarily on buyouts, on commissions, and the Bollywood music industry. Yeah. While simultaneously trying to build a career as an independent artist. And um, funnily enough, even though a lot of these folks had like super high profiles, they're like stars in their own right, they were quite clueless with regards to how do I actually build an artist profile? Where does that job even start? Right. So um, I think the biggest takeaways were um, thinking of yourself as a business, that's one. Yeah. And PROs was a big one. Audience nurturing was a big one. Oh, I like that phrase. Yeah. Um, it was a big one. I mean, some of these uh, folks, there were re- a lot of the information was literally premieres in their world that never even thought of things the way you put them across. So, um, wow. And, um, um, here's a question for you. Have you come across, you know, relatively well-established artists who you felt um, have had similar experiences? Yes. And I was going to say that. I mean, what you just said is like so fascinating to me for so many reasons, but about India and, and musicians there. But at the same time, it's it's no different in the U.S., right? Um, they could be totally established. You know, there, there's established artists that... Um, for lack of a better phrase, like don't really know what's going on or don't, don't always know like where their money is or, or how things work. And it's, it's not their fault because mm-hmm. like I said, the music business was set up in like the 1950s to confuse artists. And um, I feel that the, 
the information and my book and, and podcast are out there. I've just never seen it put in order, right? So, Bingo. you know, for those musicians in, in India and they're, you know, doing work for hires and they're, you know, you know, do placing music in, in Bollywood films and stuff like that. Like you said, they're big and there's a lot going on. So it's just like, if you're combining that with a bunch of information that that was presented out of order, that that's going to be really challenging. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So I like, it's in a weird way, it, it's the same in the U S where there's, there's tons of established artists that I have found money for that, you know, just, um, don't really know what's going on with that stuff. And, you know, the book that my podcast is based on is like 150 pages. So, you know, I don't think that artists need to memorize like every sub revenue stream within music publishing, for example. I just want them to understand what it is and how to get all their money for it. Like if they want to go read a whole book on music publishing, have at it. But I just want artists to understand um, it's more than the basics because the book and the podcast covers the entire music industry, but um, the Mm -hmm. entire modern music industry. But yeah, I want them to understand this stuff and I want them to get all their money. That is very reassuring to hear. And if, in fact, I'm going to use that um, as, a, as a foot in the door to address something uh, which I feel makes you specifically Game Changer. You haven't just written a music business book. And FYI, for my bachelor's degree, I, I actually kind of did a music business thing. Um, 40% of my degree was music business. And I don't know jack shit after having done that degree. Pardon my French. And one of the biggest difference I feel about your material is you're actually speaking not just to the artist, but from the artist's point of view. You're literally putting yourself in their shoes. And I want to ask you, what was your why behind that? I mean, wh- what was it that actually, what was the source of inspiration behind that? Where did that journey, for lack of a better term, start? Wow, thank you. That What you just said helped me to understand like <laughs> why this book has been successful and the podcast has been successful. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not set out to be an author. This is technically my second book. My first book is called Interning 101, but I'll spare you the details on that. Um, but with this one, musicians kept wanting to get coffee and and pick my brain, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And I was having the same conversations over and over. And, you know, simultaneously, I, I no longer manage artists, but the last few artists I took on for management, I was finding money for them you know, left and right. And I was like, if this is happening to national and international acts, then what about, you know, everyone out there uh, mm. making music? So I I felt like you shouldn't have to know me to have access to this information. Mm. Um, so I was like, why don't I just write this all down? And then I, I still get the phrase all the time, or I still hear from people, oh, I just want to pick your brain. I'm like, here's a free copy of the book. <laughs> read it. And then if you have any questions, let me know. So it's also, it's like I said, the musicians I'm meeting with this weekend at this foundation, it's like, please just read this book or skim it or something. Um, Because also like, it's not just to save me time in repeating myself, but the artists that do that, this is not a plug, but like you can, you can buy the book on, on my website on collect or Amazon or whatever, but on Collective Entertainment's website and purchase an hour of consulting time with me. And I always say, and it includes the book. And I'm like, please read the book first because then we're going to be able to work on higher level things, right? Or Mm. I can just repeat what's in the book, but that's just a waste of money and time. 
Wow, you can plug in, in anything you want, by the way, FYI. We're more than happy to take that. <laughs> well, um, thank you. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm i sure you understand this as a musician. It's just, it. I don't want to say it feels weird because I want you guys promoting your music, but um, yeah, I don't know. Well, it, 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 like there's just, there can be a cheesiness when it, when it comes to books, but um, mm. you know, everything books. i th- this feels weird to say too but everything i did was authentic you know what i mean so that's also like why i don't feel cheesy saying that stuff no i totally hear you um i can relate intimately but i i i would say um it's absolutely fair for for you to in this case <laughs> go ahead um after all the work you've done i do want to dig a little deeper though cuz um i'm com- i'm struggling to come up with the right words here but you also you're addressing very technical jargonistic stuff about the music business with a constant correlation and connection to the actual human side of it and how it affects artists that specific brand of awareness um any idea where that comes from what's your personal story behind wanting to do that yeah that's a great question and um like you know i I could have added more to the question before this to to answer that. So look, I didn't know anything in the music industry when I started. I'm from the middle of the US, from a middle-class family. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I got into music because I loved it, obviously, and I wanted to support it in its most purest form. Um, And that ended up being supporting artists and that ended up being for management. And so I navigated and figured all this stuff out um, for myself, for the artists I was representing, you know, keeping in mind that managers work on commission, right? So mm. as a manager, you know, I only succeed if if you succeed. So we're we're partners, we're we're in it together. And, you know, I've had a very open mind uh, for technology over the years as well. So I've tried every platform that's come out or everything that that gets sent my way and, and figured out what what works, what doesn't. And again, it's like my life was managing artists for like 20 years. So although I'm not an artist, although I can start to relate a little bit as a, as a this word gets thrown around a lot, but as a creator, right? Like as an author and, and podcaster. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I without being <laughs> a very good musician. I do think I can empathize with artists because of my years of experience in in management and also in tour management. Before that, I went all over the world um, tour managing artists and living with them on tour buses and traveling and and all that. So I think that's where that that empathy comes from. Thank you very much. What was that like, those years touring with these artists? It was the best. (laughs) It was the best. Um, I tour managed from age 20 to 23. Um, Went, you know to kind of the more old school, traditional um, countries uh-huh. that, you know, bring in American artists. So obviously the U.S., um, Europe, more times than I can count, Australia and Japan, um, a little bit of Brazil, I've been to all 50 states. Um, but I, I make that comment about countries because now with the power of metrics, you can see where your fans are, right? So, mm. you know, I've, I've shared a story before about um, Jakarta being Image and Heap's number one country on Facebook. And that's obviously a wow. city outperforming other countries. And so 
uh, I used to tour manage Imogen and her manager went to the booking agent and said, um, Hey, can you check out what's going on in Indonesia? And the booking agent's mm-hmm. like, there's no music industry there. Don't bother. Mm-hmm. And he's like, can you just check? And she came back with a whole bunch of like six figure offers. Right. Mm-hmm. So obviously there's tons of fans in India and, and so many other great places. And I, I do, I, I, I think our industry is shifting a little bit, but should really wake up and shift to where fans are as opposed to like, oh, cool, let's just go to London and Tokyo and Australia. And those are great places, but it's we're just kind of... And, and we do the same thing traditionally from a booking perspective in the US. You know, like a mm. lot of times an agent will just book like the same 10, 10 cities and the same, same 10 clubs. And it's like, well, why don't we look at what the artists' most popular cities are in the U.S. and go there, mm-hmm. and which are usually going to be the major population centers. But um, yeah, like, you know, I've had, I mean, Brazil is, uh, you know, South America is a... Um, oh, yeah, another market. Would, would be kind of like fourth on the list from a, you know, traditional American music industry standpoint, like when it comes to touring. Like if the artist isn't too burned out, you would go to South America after Australia. But my point is, you know, I was managing an artist that traditionally does really well in Nashville, London, New York. And I could see that Sao Paulo was just going off on his, on his, um, you know, in his metrics. So that's my point is just pay attention to to where fans are. Amazing. I can confirm, by the way, I mean, India is slightly more complex being it is, it, it's like multiple industries in one, but Indonesia has been kicking ass big time. And I've had the opportunity to observe them because, um, like way back, like 20 years back, uh, I remember being uh, an artist at one of the earliest festivals ever, which has gone on to be one of the world's most respected and revered jazz festivals at this point. And uh, uh, a few years back, I was actually signed to a label in California, funnily enough, and their number one artist was a band from Jakarta as well. That's great. So um, it's it, that that has been uh, indeed a uh, very legit uh, movement. And also in Indonesia, um, it also... I don't know how to say this without just saying the way it is. They have great taste. The music that comes out of mm-hmm. there, it's um, at least. I mean, obviously, it's always subjective, but uh, there's it's like there's a very like a homegrown sound that's being uh, developed there. Anyway, but I digress. Um, speaking of metrics, by the way, and uh, I remember talking to Ariel about this too earlier on uh, last week. Um, it's it's awesome to be able to see what's going on there. Uh, it's also not very awesome sometimes. Mm. Um, how do you feel about the psychological aspect uh, th- that degree of transparency uh, takes on artists? And what are the pros and cons of that? Is it something you'd like to comment on? Sure. I think it's what metrics you are looking at. So mm. I'm not talking, and I don't know if this is what you mean, but I'm not talking about like, what's your social media following and stuff like that, because that can be um, BS, right? Mm -hmm. Um, There's a million ways to get followers. And as far as that goes, it's it's more about... Would you please elaborate a little more on that? Because that's something I I still don't understand. What do you take on social media? Sorry about the digression again. Sure, that's okay. Well, what my take is on social media is a whole whole bigger thing. But um, I mean, to answer that question... You need to... Okay, tech companies are the most valuable companies in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, Why? Because they have all of our data. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's not always the most exciting sounding thing, but artists need to think of themselves as a tech company. 
And what I mean by that is you need to be collecting as many mobile phone numbers from your fans as possible, as many email addresses. Those are the key metrics when it comes to building a sustainable music career forever, because that's how you're going to be able to connect with your audience forever. Um, mm. That's why Spotify is so valuable. That's why all these companies are, are so valuable because they have our data and they can connect with us directly. Mm -hmm. um, so you should be using social media as a tool um, to collect that data for yourself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whether you love or hate social media, I feel like you should be spending an hour of business day on your social media and your emails and make sure you're getting back to everyone. Because if you love it, these platforms were set up to be addicting um, and you're going to get too sucked into that and start to lose sight of yourself as an artist and, and getting mm -hmm. your art together. And if you loathe it, you have to make yourself do it too. Or, you know... Um, if you're in a band or group, if there's someone else that's more into it that can help. But I, I do think that should be limited to um, an hour a day. Um, but what was your first question before social media? Metrics. Metrics, right. So um, when I'm talking about metrics, I'm actually not talking about anything that should bum you out. Um, it's what I'm talking about should actually really excite you. So check out your location data. Mm -hmm. um, your fan, you know, your top cities on Spotify, on different different streaming streaming platforms, on social media, on your text list, on your email list, and start to figure out where your fans are. Um, that's what I'm talking about when I come to met when it comes to metrics. Um, you know, with what I think you were referring to with with social media, um, like you know, it's not about it's not about having a large following. It's having an authentic following and what you do with that following. So um, anyone can go, you know, buy followers. There's different hacks to like manipulate getting a lot of followers. Um, it doesn't matter if you don't have high engagement. And by matter, I mean like, you know, to brands or social media experts. Like we, we work, my company works with an artist named Julia Nunes who has really high engagement numbers um, mm -hmm. on, on social media. She has strong like public numbers too, but there's definitely people that have like way bigger public numbers, but we have brands hitting us up like every day because her engagement numbers are so strong, which makes sense. She has an mm -hmm. amazing relationship with her audience and, and knows how to communicate with them. So definitely don't get bummed out. What I'm really talking about is um, digging in on your location metrics to know where your fans are when you're when you're plotting and, and thinking about touring. How do we define authentic audiences, though? Um, well, it starts with chapter one, episode one. Get your art together. Mm. Um, you have to make great art, and I know that's easier said than done. Um, and it could take you decades. <laughs> I hate to say. I'm laughing because I'm thinking of a specific person. My my friend. Well, he always made great art. But my friend Chris Voss is in a band called The Record Company, and he's in his 40s and having a ton of um, mainstream success for the first time in his life. So the art has wow. to be great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really, I could do a whole podcast. I should do a whole podcast episode on him. His well, story is really... Well, I'm happy to take you on that. I'm in my 40s and I'm still waiting for my mainstream success. Yeah, so. <laughs> that, well, he just kept hacking away at it, right? And um, I again, I feel weird saying this, but, you know, he... He has been very kind as far as my work goes and kind of changing his mindset mm -hmm. on um, 
and this is your question, like connecting with the audience, right? So, um, you know, for him, that can be as simple and everybody should be doing this, like hanging out at the merch table afterwards, right? Like mm. meeting his fans, saying hi. But um, how you even get to that level is getting back to everyone on social media, right? Like, you know, when someone responds, when are you coming to, uh, you know, Delhi or, or Bangkok or wherever, reply and be like, uh, sign up for my text list. You know, I'll let you know, right? And that's where that data collection comes in. But that authentic engagement, um, you know, it's it's a mixture of create great art. And then when, when I talked about um, spending an hour of business day on social media, um, mm. getting back to everyone, right? Um, and look, if you're overwhelmed on what to post, I have a golden rule that um, never steers me wrong. And that's, I only try to post positive things on the internet. Huh. And, you know, also keep in mind, we all take for granted where we live, right? So if you're in India, that's super interesting to me. Um, I was working with an, with a band from Chicago once and they didn't know what to post because they thought everything they do was so boring. Yeah. Um, and they, they were on a label in the UK and the guy in the UK is like, show me Chicago, show me what you're doing. I'm like, show me your dog walking jobs, whatever, you know? So the stuff that, um, we often take for granted is, is really interesting. So don't overthink it, try to keep it positive and get back to everyone and then collect that data as you go. And look, it's a haul, right? Like I get that as an entrepreneur, but you know, you, you keep going and going and then you pop your head up at one point and look back, even if you're feeling stressed and are like, Oh my gosh, you know, my email list has grown. My text club has grown. Like, mm. and that's how you monetize for the long term. Yeah, I can completely relate. Thank you for reminding us of that. Actually, I've I've made this experiences myself. I'm I'm not sure if you know, but I I shuffle bases between Berlin and Asia uh, depending on season. Um, and I've also noticed like a lot of times when I'm uh, when I'm in India, for example, some some like, oh I love that little story you posted about you. I don't know practicing skills on the piano or something, which is something yeah. I'd find one of the most boring things to. I didn't even back when I actually did post something on that. I, I thought I was, I was probably just bored out of my head. And it was quite enlightening to actually realize that the effect it can have on someone in a different location is very different than how we uh, feel it might be. Um, that being said, though, it um, and this is a question I ask as, as an artist, really, it, it can get so easy to run circles in my head trying to, again, you know, hashtag overthinking, uh, not just if what, if what I'm posting is interesting enough, but also get caught up in this vicious cycle of, oh, I got to post, I got to post, I got to post. Any, yeah. any, uh, any words of wisdom on how to strike a healthy balance there? I mean, I could post all day long and, and that burn out really, uh, another buzzword. Um, where, where do we stop though? Totally. Well, that's where the one hour of business day comes in. And by business day, I mean, like not, you know, you know, unless you're so inspired, you don't you don't have to be posting on weekends and holidays and stuff. But um, that's where that limiting comes in, right? Because you mm -hmm. just said like, oh, I could be posting all day. Well, if you're posting all day, you're not working on your skills. Um, you're not rehearsing, you're not writing, right. you're not making music, exactly. right? So that's, that's where that one hour window is, is really key. Mm -hmm. um, look, there's a few ways to approach this. Um, 
you know, I interviewed Zoe Keating for the foreword of the book and and on on the podcast first season. And she goes in basic, she's amazing at social media, but she said she basically goes in like bursts or streaks, right? Like when she's in the recording studio, that's like a sanctuary. She's not on social at all. But when she she emerges from that, um, she is. You know, hmm. at the same time, I was talking to Cam Franklin from The Suffers, who I think would be, okay, I know would be okay with me saying this. Um, she was, you know, I, I was doing a podcast interview with her. She was like, late because of a travel delay and she's in a hotel and there's just like a million things going on. And she's just like, I've just had it with social media. It's like, now it's memes. Now it's this, now it's whatever. And Cam and the suffers are really incredible and mm. have a very loyal audience. I'm like, Cam, you should just pin major announcements on your social media, whether it's a release or tour or whatever let folks know, you know, the best way to stay in touch is your text list, your email list, maybe your Patreon as well. Um, mm -hmm. and, and that you're not going to be posting a ton um, to support your mental health, right? Like everybody's mm -hmm. going to support that and get it. And, and they can afford this. I was like, maybe throw a little ad spend behind those um, pinned posts, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, speaking for me, you know, briefly... Um, like I've been really overwhelmed by my social media, like yeah. even, even in the, over the past week or so I, I've had a, a lot going on. Um, and I don't have a million followers or something. I can only imagine, you know, what that, what that's like, but I, you know, I just, I basically took the last week off, not just from social media, from everything, which is rare for me, but I've had a lot going on. And, and so it's just like, you know, I just took a day or took a couple days and got caught up with that, you mm -hmm. know, and I'm not doing this yet, but I'm close to hiring my assistant to at least monitor my social accounts to make, now maybe this is the opposite of being authentic, but um, just to make sure we're like favoriting every comment. Um, I do want replies and things like that to still come from me, but I just want to make sure I'm not missing anyone. Um, if that makes sense. So I, I hope those are a few different strategies because you got to do it, but I totally get it. <laughs> it's it being too much at the same, but in short, an hour business day will keep you on track. Yeah, no, that's actually not just very, not just super helpful, but it's also very sobering and reassuring. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, what you're also pointing towards is again, is to really think of ourselves as a business. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. Um, you know, I just, I, I saw Bob Lefset say something like, all artists have cult followings, you know? Like, there are huge artists nice. that play, like, arenas and stadiums that, like, you and I have never heard of, right? Mm, um, and that's just the world we live in, in this world of infinite genres. So, you know, when I'm talking about the power of, you know, collecting mobile phone numbers and, and email addresses, um, you know, I managed an artist named Amanda Palmer for a long time. And oh, I know who Amanda uh, Palmer is, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I want to pick and your brain a bit on that as well later, if I may. Sure, yeah. totally. Um, I was interviewing Seth Godin on a podcast last year. Who no way. Exactly. Either either you know or you don't know. Yeah. Um, I was so I was so excited. <laughs> I was so excited. Um, but he you know, is credited with inventing, quote, permission marketing, um, which is, you know, like, 
when you give me your email address or mobile phone number, or sorry, when I give it to you, I'm giving you permission to contact me about your music. And that's very powerful. And that's why the tech companies are so valuable. Mm -hmm. And so when Amanda's first solo album came out, um, it sold like 20,000 copies. Mm -hmm. Um, She was on a major... I'm dating myself by saying sales, but you get the idea. Mm -hmm. Um, She was on a major label subsidiary and that was considered a failure, just a total commercial failure. And they dropped her. And she went on to raise the most money ever for a musician on Kickstarter, over a million dollars. And it took Mr. Seth Godin to point something out about an artist whose career I know intimately. Guess how many backers she had on Kickstarter to raise a million dollars? I don't remember the exact figure, but I do remember there was history making. It was 20,000, right? So 20,000... Selling 20,000 records on the major label subsidiary is a commercial failure that gets her dropped. But 20,000 fans on Kickstarter gets her a million dollars. So that's kind of my point on the cult following. It's just like, and, and to your point on, you know, you know, I've always built businesses around artists and taken care of fans a very close second. That's all it is. Everything else when it comes to promo, I don't want to say it. I mean, it, it, it's, it's kind of BS. Um, I, I hesitate in saying that because it's like, what do you do with the promo? You know, like when this podcast comes out, I'm going to post about it. I'm going to tag you. I'm going to be like, I would love to come to India and do a podcast season. Right. Like mm-hmm. that's going to give it more life, um, you know, than it just being out there or whatever. So th- I have tons of information in the book and, and podcasts on how to use promo effectively. But my point is if, you know, hiring this publicist, that publicist, being with this manager, being with this booking agent equaled success, then everybody would just go sign up with those people, right? It's not that simple. It's creating great art and taking care of your fans. And um, how you are taking care of those fans can lead to a million dollars versus getting dropped, even if it's the same amount of fans, if that makes sense. Yeah, indeed. Makes more than just a little sense, actually. (laughs) I mean, at the risk of sounding cheesy, um, it's... sounds to me it's like at the end of the day it's really about the journey and not that metaphorical destination so that's true about everything for sure and it's really hard to see that when you're in it you know there's a young woman here in new york that i've seen at a couple panels and conferences over the years and she's just like well how did olivia rodrigo get on saturday night live like you know for her first thing and blah 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 and it's just like I, you know, I haven't really thought about what you just said with regard to her until you said it, but it's just like, I know it's easier said than done, but enjoy the process. I, I think almost process, right? Like I, I totally agree with you on it, on the journey, but it's just like, you have to be a geek about making music. If you want to be in the industry, you have to be a geek about being on top of communications. Like mm. I also work in Olympic swimming. Like you have to be a geek about like the process of training and going to practice. Everybody wants the gold medal, right? Like everybody mm. wants success, but it is about finding that flow within your process and easier said than done, appreciating the journey for sure. Um, do you think your uh, background as an athlete, by the way, has influenced your mindset in the way you approach this uh, side of your life? Really great question. Um, I'm going to go with, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say like 100% or 1,000%. Full, full um, disclosure, I say this because I'm an ex-OBCD survivor who now works as a personal trainer. I train per, uh, artists as well. So it's one of the things that really kind of 
really kind of hold a flag for, you know, the way musicians have always neglected their self-care and their health and their fitness yeah. and the whole romanticized idea of, you know, rock and roll being basically destroying yeah. your body. I'm the counterbalance to that or trying to be anyway. So I'm stoked to have people who have an athletic background in the arts. Yeah. That came out wrong, but you know what I mean. Oh my gosh, I love it. Um, you know, you just said so, so much. Like, so it, it's interesting, like, yes, absolutely. Like being being an athlete growing up has impacted my career um, when it comes to, you know, work ethic, time management, mm. teamwork, um, you know, having those skills for sure. But with what you said to, you know, with regard to self-care, I'm now very addicted to feeling good. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about writing a book this summer called The Routine mm. um, because I have a pretty non-negotiable. Actually, it was negotiable this morning. That's why I was a little late. Um, but I have a pretty non-negotiable morning routine. And a big key to that is movement, you know? Oh, yeah. Like I move basically first thing in the morning. Um, I have, you know, I usually have like a, a green smoothie. And then this morning I only had time for a half an hour of yoga, but I'll... I'll get on the stationary bike and do another 30 minutes um, after we chat. So I move for basically an hour first thing or swim for 40 minutes because that's a little, I was going to say a little higher intensity, but I, I go easy. I am swimming easy. I am running easy, you know? So that's why I use the word movement. It could be, if you're going to walk, I think it should be at least like an hour walk, Mm -hmm. but just move um, because it's going to make, everything better. It's going to make your creative process better. It's going to improve your mental health. Um, you're going to feel good. So, um, yeah, we'll see how that comes out in this, in the book that I'm that I, in the routine book that I want to write this summer. But my point is there are so many benefits I got from being an athlete, but I almost think they're more in the realm of, like I said, like work ethic team, you know, teamwork, time management, all of that. Um, yes, I'm grateful to have an athletic background when it comes to movement, but I could go on a walk every day and, and feel just as good. Right. So my point is it's not about grinding it out, oh, yeah. but yeah, I'm really addicted to feeling good. That's for sure. I no longer drink either, you know, when you were talking about stereotypes and music and mm-hmm. stuff like that, cause I, I want to feel good. Absolutely. Needless to say, uh, our relationships to our bodies are very personal and everyone has their, you know varying approaches i often try and tell the artists i work with and coach you know the idea here is not to make you a high performance athlete but it's also just being a counterbalance to a lot of the mindsets you've probably you know grown up around about what a musician's relationship with their body is supposed to be um so for my listeners uh, just to clarify <laughs> later on, we're not asking you to be Olympic level athletes here. I mean, the data is out there on, on the way it positively affects our performance um, on, on an intellectual level as well, right? You're definitely what I would call a high performing professional. So would you say, um, to, to kind of dig a little deeper into this, that athletic background has helped you to not just cope, but to thrive in that high performance um, environment as well. Yeah, definitely. But I just want to comment on something you said quickly. Mm-hmm. Please, with, please. Like, we're not trying to make you Olympic athletes. Mm-hmm. The Olympic athletes I know and work with, and again, I, I come from the sport of swimming. Mm-hmm. Um, they care much more that you know how to swim and that you're enjoying the water. You know what I mean? Like those are the, and, and I, that's, that's my point on like the movement stuff, right? Mm. Like it's, but then to segue to your question, um, I mean, 
I was a pretty hardcore <laughs> athlete growing up and I came from a pretty hardcore swim team. And so I think that goal setting and then creating a plan to create those goals comes very naturally to me for sure. And thank you for what you just said, because I feel like such a sloth that I've taken a week off, but rest, Hey, rest makes you a better athlete too. It's, it's really important. Oh, absolutely. Um, I'd actually be super interested in what you just said about the love for water. Do you yeah. care to elaborate a little more on that? I feel like there's so oh, much, yeah. so much valuable information hiding behind that. Sure. Yeah. Water is life, right? Like we're mm. made of water. The majority of the planet is water. Um, you know, at the same time, it can kill you. Mm. You know, it. I, I work with a um, iconic Olympic swimmer named Anthony Irvin. Um, he actually auctioned off his um, his first gold medal. Um, for tsunami relief, um, mm. when the tsunami hit, um, whenever that was 10 years ago or so, probably a little longer, longer than that, a little longer, yeah. 10, 15 maybe. Um, and I've heard him speak on that and say, even with all of my talent, that water would have killed me, you know? Um, wow. so, yeah. you know, thankfully we're not usually dealing with tsunamis, but we are dealing with, um, pools and lakes and, and oceans and, and plenty of people that don't know how to swim. So I think anyone with, um, you know, an aquatic background like myself or the people that I work with, like we care so much more about making sure everyone is safe, mm -hmm. number one, and that, and then two, allowing them to enjoy the water and whatever that means, right. Recreation, fitness, fun, all that good stuff. So safety and enjoyment that could be yeah, that, exactly. that's a pretty legit mantra for an artist if, if i would say hey i'm a big yogi like i said i'm i just talked a lot about movement but there's just mm. something about being in the water where it literally touches every fiber of, of your being and that's not and i'm a huge yogi like mm. not quite the case with yoga or even my my slow easy running awesome yeah, I mean, water, they say it's like the primal reminder of being in the womb, right? I mean, that's kind of where we started yeah. our lives on the physical level. So, yeah, it makes that's total sense. So, I've been rambling quite a bit. Now, let me see how I can <laughs> steer this back into marketing strategy for artists again, um, which is not really the goal of this podcast, by the way. Again, I can only... I repeat, let me steer back a little to audience nurturing, you know, and social media, drawing boundaries. Um, I do want to ask you, though, or uh, pick your brain on how you insist that artists pay a lot more attention than they probably are in most cases to their mailing lists. Yeah. I know um, Ariel talks about this quite a bit, too. Would you help us in understanding what the primary differences between these two formats are? Because it's a big one. I mean, I have strong opinions on this as well. But may I please request you to kind of just talk to us about this a little more? Definitely. So it goes back to tech companies being the most valuable companies in the world because mm -hmm. they have our emails and often our mobile phone numbers and more often than not, our, our locations as well. So... um. You know, Amanda Palmer, the artist I mentioned, is the singer of a band called the Dresden Dolls, who I started working with um, in the early 2000s when I was mm. in college. And they are a punk cabaret duo um, that were in a very rock and roll scene in Boston. Boston was very rock then. So they weren't getting booked at venues. 
So they would play art galleries and lofts and parties and, and different things. And so Amanda started, there wasn't even like email list software to my knowledge at this time. Um, she started an email list, um, you know, saying to me, she had started to build a small team at that time, but it, you know, the, the email list was also like out of paranoia, which I would totally say in front of yeah, her. Yeah, I remember you, know, you saying this on the, on the podcast. Yes. Yeah, like what if you go away? What if my attorney goes away? What if my mm -hmm. booking agent goes away? This is the only pipeline I have to communicate with my audience directly. Yeah. So you could barely say hi to Amanda or Brian Biglione from the band or myself because I was doing merch and, and tour managing and stuff without us saying, would you like to sign up for our email list? And... Fast forward a few years later to that first solo album Amanda put out, it sold 10,000 copies in the first day or a few hours or two days or something. And a thousand were sold by the label and 9,000 were sold through the email lists because again, it's direct to fan. It's direct to consumer. You're not letting yourself be distracted by our society of distractions. Um, and so, you know, we had really compelling bundles and, and merch in there and stuff. So she easily cleared, you know, over a hundred thousand us dollars again in a few hours, if not a few days or a day. And then of course, went on to raise the most money ever for a musician on Kickstarter, mm -hmm. very much so on the back of that email list. Um, I do think texting, I, I don't think I know that text lists are very powerful as well. Um, there's a great platform called Community. But again, it goes back to Seth Godin and, and that permission marketing. I mean, if you have fans that are willing to give give you their contact information, that is, there's a lot of power in that. So I love that you use the word nurture. That's exactly what you have to do, you know? Mm. So you also need to send e-blasts and send text blasts yeah. mindfully, right? Like, you know, I encourage you to sign up for Amanda Palmer or the Dresden Dolls email list. I encourage you because um, they do it well, right? But mm -hmm. but it's authentic and in their style. Like there might be, this sounds like more, I don't know, ex explicit than it is, but it's like there, there might be like nude photos of Amanda on the email list. Like maybe that makes people want to sign up now, but like oh. very like beautiful, like artistic ones. Mm -hmm. Whereas like I got a surprise email list email from my friend Dan once. I wish I could remember the question that was asked, but it was like, how are you feeling today? I mean, it was an email list thing. It wasn't like specifically to me. And it was like, just like black and white font or black and white colors, like simple font. So, but the thing is, my point is both of those examples are authentic to each artist, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and that, that's what, it, that's what it's all about. So yeah, just nurturing that relationship, letting them know, you know, what you have going on, how they can best support you because um, social media platforms come and go, right? MySpace comes and goes. Um, Instagram, won't look like it does now in, in 10 years. You know, there's so many artists that built up followings on Facebook and then were dismayed because they have to, you know, do ad spends to get to those audience. Like, again, Seth Godin said it to me when I interviewed him, you are the product on social media. Mm -hmm. So um, that's, again, like you need to think of yourself as the tech company, even though I know that's one of the last reasons you people probably got into music. <laughs> No, but I, I do resonate. I remember MySpace. Yeah. I used to have... Well, I, I was going to say, I mean, <coughs> I was on Friendster before that. Oh, God, and, yeah, Friendster. I remember that too. Right. But no one younger than us does, right? Mm -hmm. And that's Probably my not. point to that. That's like, these things come and go. 
I used to have close to half a million followers in MySpace. I have no clue. What? Yeah. And that, that half a million uh, turned to, what, 1,500 on Facebook, which eventually went on to become, what, 600 on Instagram. Oh my, I mean, you true just, story. you just true brought story. to life what I'm saying. Yeah, imagine if story. you had. F- feel free to quote even, me. Yeah, even, yeah. Imagine if you had even a fraction of yeah. those MySpace people's contact information. On you could million, continue yes, to yes. Can communicate with them forever instead of like, oh, I hope they're on Facebook. I hope they're on whatever yeah i've learned the hard way uh, and at the time to be fair i take full responsibility for my moronry because I, I was very much i was a bit of a stubborn bugger at the time it was like yeah this whole internet thing that's that's just you know that's not going to go anywhere I just uh, i was in my early 20s <laughs> and uh yeah i did kind of learn the hard way um and which is why when I talk to my uh, clients or students or fellow artists now I keep saying that email list that that is your true currency, for lack of a better term, yeah. as well. Currency doesn't even do the word justice. It's actually your, uh, you know, your true bridge for a genuine connection with the people you want to connect to. It's so true. Um, I, I will say I'm, I'm very blessed to have a mailing list, which at this point has people on it who've been on for over 10 years now. So that's something I'm kind of a little proud of. Wow. Um, that being said, what do you think is a good way to uh, build a mailing list? I know you've talked about this numerous times, but for a quick primer, for someone who has never even thought about this, uh, what's the best way to start? Definitely a personal note from you, mm. you know, authentic, authenticity, you know, being genuine. It, it could be a few sentences and, you know, it it has fascinated me. I've worked with, I remember working with a really brilliant, prolific songwriter and I was like, hey, can you just give me a couple of sentences to open your email address? And I just watched him struggle with this, Mm. you know? And so I kind of suggested something. um, But yeah, so a personal note from you and then any sort of exclusivity. I mean, I'm okay with this if it's on your email list, your text list, as well as your Patreon, but giving them your release a day early, right? Giving Mm. them a demo, giving them... Giving them access to something special because they are special yes, because the they one. are your most hardcore fans. So you need to take care of them. Oh, so true. I was, you literally just took the words out of my mouth. Just that's kind of what we want to do, right? We want to make our audiences feel good, feel special. It's so true. Um, yes. In fact, I'm, I'm going to have a guest on in a, a week or two who, who's a professor uh, at a university in California for creative writing who's going to whose brain I'm going to pick on and actually writing and the relevance uh, it plays for musicians in this day and age because his son's a pretty well-established local hip-hop artist. Nice. That's another thing I've also noticed, like, well, for songwriters, writing usually comes kind of naturally anyways. Um, but for, for those of us who, because I remember a part of me started off being a musician because I didn't want to talk, yeah, uh, you know, and writing happened later. Ironic saying this on a podcast. For those of us who might not be very comfortable actually like doing the communication, do you think it's a good investment to hire someone to do that? Or is it too early in the, in, in the beginning? Or what, what's the consensus there? What do you mean by talk? You mean like email lists? Yeah, and like, like just like use pros to communicate. Because so much of us just want to use a different, you know, music as a different uh, mode sure. of communication. And, you know, so we don't have to use words. Does that make sense? I don't. I don't think people should do that at all because it's not going to connect and it's not going to be authentically you. Mm. I would rather say, I would would rather 
or I would recommend that someone like that or you say, um, you know, music is how I communicate. I'm not always the best at, you know, prose and words and speaking. Um, but it means so much to me that you're checking this out or you're coming to my show. And nice. it can, again, it doesn't, that's going to be more powerful than like, I have worked with social media agencies and I end up redrafting all the posts. And I'm talking about for like, um, I, I don't want to like be too public about this, but I'm talking about for like companies, not mm -hmm. for drafting stuff for an artist. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Because Absolutely. I'm going to know my companies yeah. <laughs> better mm -hmm. than someone that's just like banging out copy for 10 or 20 different clients a day or something. So yeah, it's just be yourself. Yeah. You know, yeah. simple enough, but yeah, that really doesn't hit the nail on the head. I, I will. Yeah. I'm totally celebrating that. Thank you. Which is why I know, you know, this, you should move every day so you can find yourself. You know, I move my body because it's like, um, when I feel good in my body, I feel good in my mind. So true. We tend to forget that they're, that they're not really separable in the way we often think they are. So true. Right. That's so. the thing. Yeah. Like again, with this book, the routine I want to write, um, it started as my work process. And now um, I do that routine when I'm traveling, when I'm on vacation, you know, I'm going to talk about life things through heartache, through grief. Um, so it, it sets you up for everything. So true. Um, we have a question from an audience member who prefers to remain anonymous. Um, but just FYI, this is someone I happen to know personally and hold in extremely high regard as a musician, and rightfully so. And their question is, where is the boundary between being authentic and oversharing in terms of nurturing audiences? Yeah, great question. This is a musician you know or I know? I know. Okay, cool. Um I know this is easier said than done, but just listen to your intuition on that and um, and keep it positive. And so not to contradict what I just said, but it's like, I unfortunately just had to file a restraining order against someone, against a member of the public um, due to stalking and, and harassing at, at uh, some of my recent podcast tapings. Wow. Um, when I posted about that, my intention was to share, um, you know, is there a fund with women in music? Because, you know, I had the resources to hire, not only hire an attorney, but knew how to work with them. Mm -hmm. um, and not everybody has access to those things. And of course, there was this outpouring of, of support, which is very nice. But um by the, but I'm okay because by the time I got to a place where I was okay enough to make that post, it's okay. Or I, it's not, it's not okay, but it's like, I was in a better place. If I was posting about that while I was dealing with it, um, mm. this is, this is just speaking for myself. That might be a little bit more oversharing. It's like, what is your intention, um, in doing things, you know, um, I, I, I'm, I'm very good at tapping into that. Why am I posting this? Why am I sharing this? Why mm. am I doing this? Is it for ego or is it because I want to help people or I want to communicate something to people? So I think, again, it's easier said than done. I think even a short meditation practice can, can help you with this. Just tapping in, tapping into your why, why, why am I doing this? Um, and then that's going to help you answer 
if you're oversharing or not, if that makes sense. Well, start off with, I'm really sorry you had to go through that. Thank you. And thank you for sharing that, by the way. I think it addresses another very important uh, aspect that doesn't get talked about enough in the music industry or generally. And thirdly, thank you. I, I really like one specific thing you pointed towards that posting about it while it's actually happening is pr- might not be the best idea. So I guess yeah. the word we're looking at is distance, having adequate distance from the event to have a certain degree of objectivity towards it. Yeah. Or, and um, Don't let me put words right. in your mouth, by the way. No, no, it's right. And that, right. That was a negative experience, right? So for me, I had to get to a place where I was okay and then ready to help people. But yeah, you know, like I totally different thing, but, um, I was on a jumbotron in Times Square last week for my work at I voted and and I voted festival. Mm -hmm. And it's like, am I posting this for ego or am I posting this to share the work of our team, right? Mm. Hopefully, it, it, yeah. it, I know it was the latter because I felt weird posting about that. And then I just went and like hibernated <laughs> for a week. You mm. know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm a behind the scenes person. I didn't set out to to be a public person. So yeah, just just know, just check your why, you know? And, and I'm not saying like, don't do things for ego, but maybe that's a good A-B test, right? Like if you're doing something because you think it's going to be big, yeah. Go ahead and try, and I'm gonna guess that it's not right. So um, so but when true. you know you were talking about before about social media posts, and I was reminded of an example from our friend Ariel Hyatt um, mm-hmm. when she was on my podcast. She was working with an artist, and his biggest post ever was of like crumpled up paper in the recycling bin yeah. um, of all the songs he didn't write or all the outtakes or whatever right so it's not always like oh here's the song i'm so great you know it's that authentic that authenticity that connected with the audience yeah you never know i love that one i remember that and that uh, anecdote very clearly i also love how you keep uh, pointing towards the why i'm a huge fan of the why what how format just always keeping those three macros in in place to kind of discern between exactly what's going on in our lives i also really love uh, how you address uh, the interplay between the artist and their ego with your permission i'd like to add that it's not always easy discerning between ego and self-respect or self-esteem even you know because they're so intricately connected a lot of times it's um i feel it's it's fair to pay tribute to the work we have put in or our teams have put in or our, the belief our audiences have put into us and uh, you know we kind of a part of us does kind of owe it to them to celebrate you know give them that opportunity to celebrate with us right because as counterintuitive as it may sound it feels like that is the proper counterbalance to ego just to kind of prove that this isn't about the ego this is about a collective celebration do i sound too high and mighty saying that no, it's brilliant and it's beautiful and it's it's so true. You know, and again, in my experience, the artists that are successful are the ones that make music that's true to their heart, their soul, their spirit, you know, and not trying to be successful. And I know that is so much easier said than done to to find that elusive muse and and find yeah. that flow. Yeah. Um, but that's what's gonna connect with people for the long term. And and don't get me wrong, there's people that 
you know, write hit song. I mean, there's literally like songwriters that, you know, write songs, mm. you know, pop stars and stuff. And, and that's, that's great. And that's art and that's, that's talent. But um, if you're just like sitting at home trying to write a hit, even if you get that hit, those fans tend to come and go, right? Like it's, so it's those genuine fans that are there for the long term. That's how you build a sustainable music career for as long as you want to have one. Absolutely. So true. I do want to hark back a little on the question um, you know, our audience member asked, because I feel like another thing they might have been trying to point to is, um, you know, uh, the boundaries between being authentic and oversharing. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. one buzzword going around. Um, and I, I mean, let's just say I'm asking this question. I'm taking the baton from them uh, is vulnerability. Right. Yeah. And uh, the role it plays in the artist's life and just being transparent about this. Um it's so easy to transition from vulnerability into a space uh, lightly reminiscent of victimhood. Do you have a, a specific compass there to draw a line? Yeah. How do we even define vulnerability? Sure. Um, from a publicity point of view or like a, you know, a business point of view. I think it's being yourself, but also knowing your limits mm. and then also knowing when you need to take a break and pull back, which could be for a day, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't necessarily have to be an extended period of time. So be yourself, but it doesn't mean you need to share everything, right? Share the elements, you know, that you're comfortable with sharing. Like I said, it's like, I went through a terrible experience. I don't think it would have benefited anything <laughs> for me to for me to have shared that while it was happening. Mm -hmm. um, it was more after the fact when I was like, okay, I can like clearly communicate this, but yeah, just, just know your boundaries and, and, and know your limits. Yes. Authenticity is, is whatever it, whatever it means to you. Right. Like, um, you know, like my mental health hasn't been great over the past week for a variety of reasons. And mm -hmm. I've been meaning to share that because people just see like the Times square, jumbotron and they just see that right and i also want to share like did you know i was super depressed the day before mm. you know like i just shared that here but it's like i'm sharing that with intention right like i'm and if oh, people yeah. need to do this that's totally fine right but it's like it's not like i'm going on there like i'm depressed everything sucks blah 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 blah, blah right mm. like i just want to highlight the humanity behind all of this right because otherwise they're just going to see a huge social media post of me in Times Square that, um, again, is just a reflection of our our team and and our work. So um, it's whatever you're comfortable sharing or not sharing, and when, and um, again, what what your intention is and, and what the why is behind it. Awesome. Please accept my gratitude for trusting this platform for sharing that. I really appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. And. Um, I have a couple of other questions from audience members, which I find very relevant. So with your permission, uh, one, comments on safety for women in the music industry. Heck yeah. And um, I can send you a panel that just came out of my experience if you want to add it to the show notes. Oh, I'd love to, please. Yeah. So in my experience um, with what I just went through, screenshot everything. Um, because a lot of these folks, and I say a lot of these folks, cause you know, with, with my person, I've since 
found out about him harassing other women. Um, I've heard from a lot of women, obviously, since I went public about this, not not just about him, but about their experiences. And so this is really, really common. Mm-hmm. Um, take screenshots so you can so you document everything because they can also delete direct messages and stuff. And so, right. you know, when you're not to sound intimidating, but when you're in court, and again, this was part of the benefit of working with an attorney, he was like, print everything out, add the dates at the top, because actually it doesn't always say that in, in social media communication and stuff. And then I was able to be like, on January 25th, this happened. On February 1st, you know, this happened. So just document. Um, I would say, don't be afraid to and afraid isn't even the right word, but um, don't be hesitant to put up clear boundaries mm-hmm. the second something weird happens. Because, you know, as I started getting, as, as when the first red flags went up, I contacted someone that knew this person and I said, you know, do you think they're stable? And she said, um, block him, refund his tickets, ban him from the venue. And that's um, advice I would have given any other woman, but I said, um, you know, I haven't put up a clear boundary. Let me do that first. And it's just like, it's just, it just got worse. Um, you know, from there. So I should have listened to my own advice, right? This is exactly what I would have told, you know, my colleague and and friend who told me the same thing. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, other than that, just, um, don't go places alone. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I was teaching at New York university and, um, a young student, said she was invited to a recording session or she was at a recording session or something and she was the only woman and she felt really uncomfortable. And I just said three words, bring a friend, you know, mm. and that immediately um, put her at ease. And just, you know, join Women in Music. They're a fabulous global organization and find support amongst each other, you know, because I I feel so supported um, by women, non-binary folks and the music community at large about what I went through. And then... It's amazing to see folks, because I recorded my podcast in the state of Wisconsin, how Wisconsin Music Ventures immediately took action, organized a panel, you know, for safety for women, um, and has really been educating their their audience. So, um, yeah, there are resources out there, but I'm trying to organize them a little bit more, at least when it comes to this issue. Because fundamentally, it comes down to our safety. It's both safety mm-hmm. and equity. Mm-hmm. Um, it's our safety... Um, because that was a really wild experience to say the least. Um, but then also equity because, you know, any revenue I made on the most recent podcast season goes to an attorney. Right. And that's not going to be the case with, um, you know, the men who are doing equivalent work to me at, uh, you know, the same kind of work that I'm doing. So Mm. anyway, I hope that helps. No, absolutely. Thank you so much. So trust your hunches. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you're even asking that question, it feels ridiculous in hindsight. Like, is this person, is this okay? Is this not okay? Is this, is this person all right? You know, mm-hmm. it's just like, my friend was right. I should have listened to her then. It might've saved me legal fees. Yeah. What do we do when it's with people? Um, and I ask this uh, again, completely anonymously, or when, when it actually comes to collaborators, I happen to know uh, that there have been numerous instances where um, a certain musician, female musician is not quite sure if um, a collaborator who keeps insisting they do meet up more often for writing sessions is actually doing it because he's like, really interested in the music or uh, something else. So um, at the same time, needless to say, she obviously doesn't want to botch it up and come across as paranoid. 
So uh, what would any words of wisdom for situations like those? Yeah, it's what we just said. Trust your instinct, right? Like okay. find another collaborator. It's, it's okay to be like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not really interested at this time. I'll, I'll let you know if that changes or something. Mm. There's probably a, a better way to put up a more clear, you know, boundary than that. But there's a way to, I mean, even in the first boundary I put up, like I was direct and professional and respectful, yeah. you know? Um, mm. So it, you can find another collaborator. Um, I mean, that, that's really it. And th this isn't quite what you're saying. Um, but I, I also had a student say to me like, oh, there, there's this producer that's hitting on me, but yeah. like, Classic. I'm not interested, Classic. but I want to work with him. And yeah. I'm like, there's other producers. And that's the one. it's hard to... It, yeah, it's hard to, this student was like 19 or 20. It's, it's often hard to see Indeed. that. Yeah, but it's, it's, um, it's so true. And, and, and listen to what we just said, like your friend needs to listen to their, their instinct and their intuition. Right. Mm -hmm. So, because my person, the legal phrase is responded, um, was doing the same thing to, to women artists in my audience. You know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. Hey, let's get together. Hey, I'll cut you a good rate. Hey, hey, like ask, this was before I pursued legal action, but ask Emily about my professionalism. Blah, blah, blah. She blocked him before she even talked to me, you know? So I would say your friend should not, should, should respectfully just, you know, let this person know, you know, she's not able to work with them at this time. Gotcha. Makes sense. I want to respect your time. I have two more questions. You good for that? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Here's another one from audience. How do we differentiate between being a service provider and an entrepreneur as an artist? Ooh, wow. Good what one, a huh? great question. Well, th that's my student. I'm kind of proud of them right now. Yeah. Well, do you know what kind of music this student makes and what I mean by that? I've never heard a question like this about being a service provider. But I guess that is the kind of that is kind of the case that they're writing like jingles. She's a very successful studio vocalist who's working on the new EP. Okay. Her first debut EP. Yeah. Well, okay, that that's helpful. Um, I think when it's your own music, mm -hmm. it goes back to you know what's true to you, right? Mm -hmm. um, but when you are, what was the phrase again? I'm getting a little hungry and spacey. It was so specific. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, thanks for hanging in there. Service provider versus entrepreneur. Yeah, totally. Um, but if you are getting hired to sing top line for a dance track, that's super specific. But mm. at the same time, I would say lose yourself in the top line of that dance track and working with the artists and working with the producer and, and all that. Um, and then an entrepreneur, you just are one, you know, like... Like I said, it's all about um, creating great art, first and foremost, building a business around that and taking care of your fans a very close second. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, again, I, I, I don't think that you should view your own music as a service you're providing to people. Well, I guess I'm thinking more in the recorded music sense. Yeah. But you are doing that if, as a vocalist if you are collaborating with other artists. But um, I don't think they would want you to view it that way, right? Mm. They want you to lose lose yourself in the art and and in the music, but yeah. But otherwise, you're an entrepreneur. Everyone is. You are. I am. Um, all musicians are. And it doesn't mean they have to like go be Steve Jobs or something. Mm -hmm. But that's why I put again. I, I'm not trying to sell books. I think it's easier to read like a 150 page book. But that's also why I put like a free podcast out there explaining this stuff. Absolutely, I can confirm that. By the way, and uh, here's one which I find. Um Really interesting. Uh, this could have been me. Um, 
for those who don't know, I mean, some of the artists you've worked with, man, is they're they're like creme de la creme in, in, on a global scale. My personal favorites are Imogen Heap and Amanda Palmer, although for very different reasons. Imogen Heap is a musical hero of mine, and Amanda Palmer is, for me, was like uh, the start of a very almost like a milestone in music history where the artist for the first time asks and establish this relationship of give and take between artists and audience. So the question here is, by the way, a long introduction, my apologies, <laughs> always tend to get carried away. Among all these art- the artists you've worked with, is there a common strain you've observed among the greats, so to speak, these uh, extremely successful artists? Is there one thing you can kind of pin down as a common trait amidst all of them? Yeah, they create great art. Mm. And then I think it's up to them if they want to take care of their fans or not. Gotcha. Um, and that's what's going to define how how lucrative and potentially how and, and how big their their career is going to be. Right. Mm. You know, Amanda is a, a, a perfect example. You know, she obviously takes great care of her audience. So does Julia Noon. So does Imogen. So does Zoe Keating. Mm. Um so they do a great job with it. I've worked with artists that might be a bigger name in the industry mm-hmm. um, or in press or, or whatever mm-hmm. that don't take care of their audience and then are upset that they're not selling as many tickets or they're not as big. And, you know, and mm-hmm. I'm like, well, maybe go hang out at the merch table afterwards. And it's like, well, I just want to be David Bowie. I just want to, you know, come on and off stage and be mysterious. And it's just like, that's just not the world anymore or there's a way to do it right um so yeah so create great art and and take care of your fans like they all create great art and i'm not again i'm not saying that's easy that could take um a lifetime for sure um but then it's just how are you you know you use such a beautiful word how are you nurturing and how are you cultivating that audience like i said Mm. i've worked with artists who are like quote bigger names than amanda Mm -hmm. that make less money um Interesting. So, yeah. Excellent. Is is there a specific part on your podcast you would like to point our listeners to to address this, the, the nurturing part? I know, I, I know sure. which one exactly, but do you have a personal favorite? <laughs> I think that Ariel episode. Uh, yeah, um, that's my favorite. Yeah, the, the Ariel Hyatt <laughs> episode on season one. I can't remember what episode it is. It's probably number four or something yeah. like that. But um, I mean, she's such a great speaker, and you know, I know people that are like. I know artists that are brilliant marketers that took a lot away from that episode. And also like when someone is just starting and is really overwhelmed when it comes to marketing and stuff, I'm like, I point them in Ariel's direction because I think she does such a great job breaking it down, but none of it matters if your art isn't together. So Mm. don't skip ahead in my opinion, unless, um, you feel that your art is truly together. And I interviewed, you know, Justin Vernon from Bon Iver about this. I talked to Zoe Keating about this. Actually, we're about to release, I don't know when this is going to come out, but on in, in this month of March, 2023, we're about to release the first episode of season two, which is Vernon Amazing. Reed of Living Color, all about getting your art together, right? No so, way, I love that guy. Yeah, yeah, so that's what you need to focus on before you go wild with marketing. Otherwise, Otherwise, there's nothing to market. There's no point. There's nothing to spread the word on. Oh, so true. Thank you so much for saying that. It's the kind of thing we can, it's just so easy to forget in the, every now and then. And yeah, Ariel is absolutely, yeah, another person I'm a huge fan of. That's how I found, um, actually, your episode is how I found Ariel. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Love it. 
Um, I'm getting hungry too, and I know you are. And I, I think we both deserve a decent meal at this point. But before I let you go, there is there anything else I've forgotten, Emily? Is there something you would like to talk about? I want to come to. Well, I've been to these places, but I, I want to bring the podcast to India and and Thailand. So let's make it happen, so I can meet your students and you know talk about this stuff in in person. I would love to do that, and I'm definitely gonna get back to you with regards to this. I have a few ideas. Full disclosure: India is not uh, uh, much less confusing for me as it might be for someone in your part of the world <laughs> i have ancestry there but i think india is pretty confused in itself as well uh, a lot of yeah. on a good day because it's just so mammothly abundant when it comes to the creation of the arts but yep. um, you know as is often the case with parts of these world you know parts of the world like that a lot of it just takes gets taken for granted so I think the knowledge you have to share is exactly what needs to spread itself through throughout the industry, especially amongst the younger generations. So I will make sure I will do whatever I can in my capacity to try and make that happen. And I'm going to get back to you on this offline as well. Thank you, TL. Yeah, that absolutely. means the world to me. No, no, it means the world to me, really. This is kind of my why when it comes to you know, doing what I do. I'm going to turn video on once more just to say goodbye like a human, well, remotely human. Again, that, that pun is so weird. Um, thanks again. Is that yoga mat behind you? It is. Nice. Yeah. Is that, is that teal? It looks very uh, teal. It, it's a beautiful color if it is. It's a little darker. It's like navy and green. Beautiful. You have such a beautiful voice. You have such a calming voice. Oh, thank you. Uh, I won't lie, I have been told, I, I, you know, I, I will quote my teacher, who's this um, very well-known and respected jazz um, pianist called Kenny Warner, is that, you know, we, we're just channeling uh, something. Uh, yeah. So, uh, but, but I, I do accept that very gracefully and gratefully. Thank you. And you have an amazing, empowering vibe, which just makes me, you. Uh, just fills me with hope. Like, yeah, you know, I can... Yeah, this is still not over and it never will be. So right back at you. Where in Thailand are you? Yeah, Bangkok. Cool. It's just uh, super because my parents now live in a city called Calcutta, which is just two hours yeah. away from here. Um, so it's just really easy for me to uh, to travel back and forth. It's just Amazing. I love Thailand so much. Me too. It's just such an easy landing. It's like you never really leave. Yeah. You know, you're back and you just back where you left things off. So gratitude from the bottom of my heart for listening to the very end please consider taking a minute to subscribe to our show so you know when the next episode is out this is a labor of love one i hope snowballs into one that's sustainable in its attempt to support independent thought and authentic relating and having you as a regular member of our audience is what makes that a realistic prospect much love and talk soon just another voice out in